Welcome to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl. It is Wednesday, July 14th. On today's show, Hope and Donovan Mitchell. Before we get there, I will give you one reason why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah. Yesterday was the dark day. Couldn't make any bets. There was nothing to bet on. Today, there's a brighter future because we have the NBA Finals tonight. And most importantly, we have the British Open beginning tomorrow and running through Sunday. uh, One of my very favorite golf tournaments of the entire year. So I've been placing some futures bets. We'll get a little something out there so I can enjoy this incredible event that happens on a timetable that runs exactly with my own, which is being broadcast in the United States of America in the early morning. So I can wake up, I watch golf, I have a grand time. So already I bet on a few Europeans, you know, Lee Westwood at 71 to win, Mark Leishman at 55 to 1 to win. I'm going to bet a lot more when this show is over to really get locked in for tomorrow. And it's going to be a really good weekend. Um, And we have our reason why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah, because it will give you a morning jolt better than coffee as you watch a bunch of very, very, very rich people play for exorbitant amounts of money overseas. And now a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your masquerading Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. Hope is one of the greatest gifts bestowed upon us in the world of sports. It's one of the very few areas in life uh, where I personally don't feel dumb returning again and again uh, for that particular emotion. It's that beautiful, optimistic amnesia that I've referenced before um, about returning to the same source again and again and again and again in hopes of something better. That's part of the draw of sports for fans, for people who are a part of them as athletes or management, all that kind of stuff. Uh, It's a really cool and genuine way of experiencing that particular emotion, hope. Uh, And this ties in greatly to yesterday's episode, which if you haven't listened to or watched yet, I would encourage you to go and do that because they kind of work in conjunction with one another. Yesterday was about the wistfulness that sports kind of... uh, inspires, if you will, uh, that feeling of what could have been when my team is so close and man, these games are decided by just these tiny little things. And if one had gone in my favor, then my team won a Super Bowl or a Stanley Cup or an NBA championship. Uh, And that's part of the heartbreak that sports encompasses, uh, this well-rounded sphere of emotions that everybody kind of pulls from. Uh, But when you feel that feeling really strongly, the feeling of what could have been, as yesterday's show talked all about, uh, and you're able to separate from that with time. In the moment, it's a lot harder to process, but you know you get a little bit further away from it. And you realize when my team is that close, uh, what that means is there's a lot of reasons for hope. You know, If you're close enough to feel strongly about what could have been, then the inevitable transition is towards this positive side. It's towards, man, this might be our year, the following year. Uh, And I mentioned a million teams on yesterday's show that were in the what could have been category just within this last calendar year. You know, one that comes to mind immediately is the Cleveland Browns in the NFL, just this moribund franchise for years and years and years of the laughingstock of the NFL 
couldn't get out of their own way. And finally, they get a coach in place, Kevin Stefanski last year. They've been on just a tear-down-to-the-studs type rebuilding effort over the last three years. And last year, uh, you saw a roster that was filled with talent, and Stefanski clicks with Baker Mayfield, the quarterback. And they end up winning their first playoff game in, in years and years, and they barely lose to the Chiefs in the second round. Uh, and I look at a franchise like that coming into this year, and you look down the roster and you go, man, this is a pretty talented roster, and there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about this team. Um, and it's a pretty stark contrast to where we were in January when the Browns lost to the Chiefs in this five-point nail-biter, and you had that feeling of what could have been. All of these teams are feeling that. Uh, so today's episode, it's about the hopeful side. Um, it's about when you're close enough to feel strongly about what could have been, then you're also close enough to go, these are reasons to be optimistic moving forward. So I transitioned to one team in particular, uh, the team that plays basketball in my home state, the Utah Jazz, who suffered a playoff defeat to the Clippers that was about as demoralizing as possible, especially when you consider just how wide open the NBA title race has been this year. Uh, And the Jazz's defensive structure kind of crumbled against the small ball uh, approach that the Clippers brought to the table. Um, And that's one year after crumbling against a very different offensive attack, the pick-and-roll combination of Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Uh, Two very different ways of attacking a defense that, under the bright lights of the playoffs, the Jazz were not really suited to stop either one. So now we're in the offseason, and there's obvious questions about the personnel and the identity of this team that are being asked and need to be answered moving forward, or we're going to see more of the same thing, uh, presumably, in the following years in the playoffs. So that's kind of the glass half-empty side of things, and all of that is real, and all of that needs to be answered on the Jazz side. Uh, But on the hopeful side, uh, I go to the the glass half-full approach, and I look at one player in particular, uh, Donovan Mitchell, who for me is kind of the embodiment of hope for the Utah Jazz franchise moving forward. I want to rewind to his rookie season, the 2017-2018 season. He's now been in the league for four years. Um, and that off season, uh, it's the first year that I got season tickets to Utah Jazz basketball games. Part of the reason why I was able to get those is because Gordon Hayward had left in the offseason. Uh, Gordon Hayward, a homegrown star, they drafted him. Uh, they nurtured him up into an all-star. He's available for the max contract. The Jazz had just made it to the second round of the playoffs the year prior, uh, and the future seemed optimistic. There was a lot more hope within the franchise than there had been within the last 10 years, pretty much since the post-Darren Williams era. And Gordon Hayward ends up leaving. He goes to Boston, and it leaves this gaping hole within the Jazz franchise for the primary scorer and creator of the offense. Uh, And if you remember at that time, uh, this particular emotion, the emotion of hope, uh, it was dwindling because it really, this whole experience shined a light on it's rough being a small market team. When you can draft correctly, you pick somebody in the teens, uh, you build them up, uh, and you identify the talent correctly, all those things, and now they've turned into a really valuable NBA player that you can build a roster around as a foundational piece, and they just leave to a bigger market. So they draft Donovan Mitchell that offseason uh, in roughly the same area, you know, and we don't really know what to expect. I don't know a lot about him because I don't follow college basketball that closely. But at the very least, you just expect kind of a half rebuilding year for the Utah Jazz. So 
there's one game in particular that really sticks out from the early season slog of this 2017-2018 season. A season that ended up being very successful. The Jazz make the playoffs. They make the second round. There's no way of knowing that that would have happened. But there's a game on December 1st, 2017. Um, I'm there in the crowd. It's a home game. It's against the Pelicans. Pelicans at the time, Anthony Davis, Boogie Cousins, Rajon Rondo, Drew Holiday. Roster with a lot of reasonable people, despite the fact that they never fully gelled to the best of their capabilities. Uh, But this is kind of the first moment that it dawns on me uh, when it comes to Donovan Mitchell. Like, is this actually a guy that you can build around? Uh, And I'm not sitting there watching this game thinking this guy's going to be just a a star or a superstar, any of these things. But it's the first moment that you see enough on court to go, I am very intrigued by what this guy is bringing to the table. Uh, So that night, Donovan Mitchell, he scores 41 points against this Pelicans team, helps the Jazz win. Uh, And he does it in just an electric manner that now we know Donovan Mitchell uh, can provide. It's the long threes. It's the tomahawk dunks. It's kind of everything between those things, you know, the ability to score at all three levels, the attacking of the basket, just stressing a defense from 30 feet and in. All that stuff is there in that game. And again, I'm there in the crowd. and the crowd, you can just kind of feel it like, whew, the Jazz might have something here, Right. And as the season wears on, it's very apparent that the Jazz indeed have something there with Mitchell as kind of uh, one foundational piece of the franchise. So once you're able to start identifying that, the question as always with foundational pieces, uh, it centers on something that to this day, four years later, we still don't have an answer to, which is promising. Uh, And the question is, what is your ceiling as a foundational piece? I want to read a quote from Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer, who wrote a really long article about Mitchell about a month ago, and there's a paragraph in it that ties into what I'm talking about. Mitchell was thrown into a lead role following the sudden departure of Gordon Hayward, who left for the Boston Celtics in free agency weeks after the draft. Though he thrived early, finishing a close second for 2018 Rookie of the Year, Mitchell was dubbed inconsistent. But he was merely learning. This season, he averaged a career-high 26 points and shot 39% on nine attempts per game from three. Over his past 15 playoff games, he's been even better, averaging 35 points while making 47% of his 10 attempts a game from three. At 24 years old, Mitchell has become one of the NBA's most lethal scorers. End quote. So the trademark of Mitchell's career so far has really boiled down to One word, in my opinion, progression. Um, The ability to build upon the things you already have in place. uh, The ability to take things that you have that you're already good at and make them elite. The ability to take things that you're weak at and make them better. Um, This is what Mitchell has done through four years. This is, again, one of the reasons why I have so much optimism for him as an individual and him as a foundational piece for his organization. So within this time frame, Mitchell's minutes per game has been roughly the same throughout these four seasons, you know, 33.4, 33.7, 34.3, 33.4. But within these years, uh, the counting stats rise and you see a clear progression on the upward arc from Mitchell uh, in a lot of areas when it comes to the offensive side of the basketball. Uh, the most obvious, it starts with his ability to score the points per game. Just the raw counting stats, that's on the upward trend. 20.5 is rookie season, 
and we go 23.8. Then we go 24.0. Then last season, we go 26.4. And it's not just the raw ability to increase your points per game by six points over the course of four years. It's the way that he has been able to do that. You know, this increased diversity every single year in how Mitchell can actually burn the opposition. Um, It starts early on with, okay, we need you to better understand how to manipulate a pick and roll. Uh, Just the defensive coverage that comes into that, how you are going to have to live in these spaces that open up, uh, some by your own doing, some by the pick and roll by that person's doing. You're going to have to learn how to manipulate that and bend that and warp that to your own uh, means and be able to identify when it's time for me to score, when it's time for me to pass, and all of the really complex things that go into what looks like a very simple basketball play. Um, And he's really built upon that year after year after year after year. Uh, The increased range, you know, the three-point shooting uh, from quality and quantity, uh, the ability to, again, flush out your game at all three levels, at the paint, at the mid-range, at the three-point arc, um, and then be able to accentuate that with passing. Something that Mitchell came to the league and I don't think was great at, and he's really shown improvement with just his ability to set up teammates. Uh, We go to his assists per game over the course of his four seasons, and that's on the rise, you know, 3.7, 4.2, 4.3, and 5.2, Last season. And if you've watched his career, it's not, again, just the rise. One and a half assists per game over the course of these four years. It's the way that he is able to pass now relative to his rookie season. Just the understanding and comprehension of space on a basketball court. And how he's become so good at scoring that he is warping defenses to him. And now I can throw a pass cross court. And now I can throw a lob down to Gobert or Favors. Or now I can just throw a little pocket pass to a roller and maybe it's a hockey assist because they're the one who's moving in and they pass it and now that's an open corner three. We've seen a lot of growth in that area with Mitchell. Uh, And I think one of the constant themes of this progression arc and again, one of the things that ties into hope uh, for him as a player and for the Jazz as a franchise is that he's young and he is still growing. Um, The three-point shooting has been a a very, very, very big building block of his game, especially when it comes to the quality and the quantity. You look at his three-point percentage over the course of the last four years, and again, it's on the rise. 34% is rookie season. We jump up to 36.2, then 36.6. Last year, 38.6 on nearly nine attempts per game. You know, you're hovering around that 40% shooting mark from three on a incredible volume of threes and now you're talking about a really special attribute in how you can attack an NBA defense and how you also are forcing them to extend the way and the space that they have to defend you know if you're bombing threes from 30 feet out that warps the way a defense is comfortable playing that's why players like Dame Lillard and Steph Curry are so valuable because they can pull up six feet behind the arc and score and now a defense is going well normally we defend by the arc and we're having to defend as soon as you come across half court Mitchell's on that upward trend not to say that he's Lillard or Curry but he's exhibiting uh the ability to learn and grow and really be good at some of the same traits that has made players like that very successful within this same time frame 
probably the area that has made me most hopeful and optimistic is him in the playoffs. Because usually young players really struggle to match their regular season production within just kind of the high-pressure crucible of the NBA playoffs. It's the best defenses. They're game planning for you. And usually that means you're going to see a step back from how you play in the regular season. Mitchell has almost been the exact opposite of that, which is astounding. Um, Two years ago against the Denver Nuggets, it's a series that you just can't really forget if you watched it. Mitchell averages 38 minutes per game within that series. 36 points per game, 5 assists per game, 51.6% from 3 on 9 attempts per game. Uh, It was a transcendent offensive performance from Mitchell. Uh, Last year, playing against Memphis in the first round, the Clippers in the second round, all of it on a bum ankle, he shows a lot of the same things, you know, throughout that stretch. 34 minutes per game, 32 points per game, 5.5 assists per game, 43.5% from three on 11.5 attempts per game. Quality, quantity. Uh, The most valuable actual skill you can find in the NBA is the ability to score consistently within the NBA playoffs. Uh, And that's a skill that we've already seen a lot from Donovan Mitchell four years into his career. He's done that at an elite level. And again, the biggest reason for optimism. There's still room to grow within that particular area. Uh, I recorded an episode, I think, within the Grizzly series. And I'm really fixated on the idea of Donovan Mitchell's ceiling being the ceiling of the Utah Jazz. And it's because of stuff like this that I believe that. Uh, NBA franchises, they spend years searching for somebody who can come into the NBA playoffs and score a lot and at a reasonable, efficient level. And the Jazz have that already with Mitchell. Um, And you surround that with pieces, and you have a hell of a lot of reasons for hope. So there's a quote that I want to read from Mitchell. Uh, And again, this comes from the Kevin O'Connor article on The Ringer, which was written before the Jazz lose in Game 6 to the Clippers, Um, but it ties into that kind of particular mindset. This comes from Mitchell. When you start to look so far into the future, you lose what's right in front of you. To be honest with you, losing to the Nuggets really, really showed me that. You kind of look ahead, thinking you have it in the bag, and you look past an opponent. It's not necessarily intentional, but your mind does wander. The loss taught me to stay straight and narrow, locked in on what's in front of me. End quote. So I really like that, uh, the locked in on what's in front of me idea in general. That's something I've talked about a lot within this show, and I like when I hear it repeated elsewhere. So Donovan Mitchell, uh, in the end of 2020, he signs a five-year, $195 million extension. Uh, Player option for the fifth year. So team control for four years, player option for the fifth year. And that essentially is the current timetable for the Utah Jazz. You know, going back to the idea that Mitchell's ceiling is the ceiling of the Jazz. Well, okay, we have him. Controlled cost for the next at least four years. Um, And so now it's on us to lock in on what's in front of me. I have a a star, foundational piece. And now we need to do everything in our power to surround him with the pieces that he needs to win a championship. Um, And 
This goes back to the glass half empty versus the glass half full side of things. Because the half empty side, like I talked about before, there's a lot of organizational soul searching that needs to occur within the Jazz uh, based upon the way that the playoffs have gone the last few years. But on the organizational hope side, uh, I think about how many teams in the NBA would just murder people to have a 24-year-old proven playoff performer uh, locked into a five-year deal, especially one that has almost assuredly not hit his ceiling. Like that, again, is the single most valuable thing you can have within the NBA. Uh, Going back to that quote, it it applies to the organization. It applies to Mitchell. And it makes me think of the Clippers series, which, again, had yet to finish up when this piece was published. And much longer after Mitchell had said these words, uh, I think back to just the optimism going into game five of that series. Kawhi's gone down. You don't want it, but now that it's there, man, the series is wide open for the taking, and instead the Jazz go the other way. They lose game five at home as nine-and-a-half-point favorites, and they lose game six. They blow a 25-point lead uh, at the half, uh, and it goes back to that thing, you know? Lock in on what's in front of me. Uh, that stuff happened. What can be gleaned from it? Uh, and for me, it's that half-empty, half-full type thing that an organization has to go through. How do we surround Mitchell with what he needs? And on the optimistic side, we know we have Mitchell under a cost-controlled contract for the next at least four seasons. So the Clippers series, yeah, it's a punch, or it's a punch in the gut to the identity of the Jazz, um, but it's also it served as uh, another proving ground for Mitchell. Um, and so the ability to score against any style of defense or individual defenders in the playoffs, he's showing that again and again and again, you know, at volume, at efficiency. And so the ceiling of him as a player, we say, well, we thought maybe he'd reached it, but it doesn't seem like it has been reached yet. So the ceiling of him is rising. And in turn, in my opinion, that means that the ceiling of the Jazz rises, provided that they build correctly uh, around a player of Mitchell's caliber. Uh, And so that's the hope that's embedded into having a proven playoff scorer locked up through essentially his 20s. You know, you'll always have a chance if that is one of your foundational pieces. So I want to wrap up this show by again going back uh, four years ago to a specific date. Again, October 28th, 2017. Uh, And I'm going to read something that I wrote during that time. Because again, this was his rookie season. This was my first year as a Jazz season ticket holder. Uh, And this particular date, this was the sixth game of Mitchell's rookie season. They're playing the Los Angeles Lakers at home. Uh, We don't have any idea about what's to come with Donovan Mitchell. You know, Uh, we don't know that he's going to turn into this guy who can just score at will against the Nuggets in the playoffs last year, score at will against the Grizzlies and the Clippers this year in the playoffs. Um, continually rise throughout the regular season on this upward trend of points per game, assists per game, three-point shooting, all of the stuff that you want in a player. We don't know any of that at this time. Um, What we know is the athleticism. That's the first thing that jumps off the screen with Mitchell. Uh, And that's the thing early on that I'm going, what is this? The Jazz don't really ever have a player like this. What is it? You know? So there's a play within that game. He has a putback dunk. Alec Burks comes down. He shoots a three. It's in the third quarter. Bricks off the back of the iron. Mitchell runs screaming in, grabs it on the fly. Just a tomahawk putback. Uh, one of like the most electric moments of that NBA season. And for Jazz fans, like again, 
something you don't really see. So it's a moment like that that I go back to because it's four years ago. And again, we don't know what's to come. Uh, and I think about this particular timetable about the Jazz or that the Jazz have in place. He signed to this contract. Uh, and I think when I'm being hopeful, when I'm being optimistic, when I'm feeling that beautiful amnesia that comes with following a sports franchise or a team, uh, I think about, okay, this guy's shown a lot in these last four years and we don't know how much more room there is to grow. Where is he going to be in four years? Um, that's the hopeful side. So like I said, I'm going to end with this. Uh, it's partially funny. It's partially serious. But the main point is this is where I was four years ago when it comes to Donovan Mitchell and the hopeful, optimistic side of me is really excited to see where we are going to be uh, within the next four years when it comes to Mitchell and when it comes to the Jazz franchise. So here we go. The Jazz defeated the Los Angeles Lakers 96-81 to to move to 3-3 three and three on the season, but that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about Donovan Mitchell. I want to talk about his athleticism jumping off the court and overwhelming everyone in attendance, leaving the entire crowd weeping, soaked in joyful tears. I want to talk about his putback dunk in all its beautiful violence, conducted in front of a slack-jawed Lonzo Ball. I want to talk about a Utah Jazz man playing above the rim and looking at every opponent like they're a dunk contest prop put on earth for the sole purpose of being humiliated in front of friends, family, and God. To date, this might have been the most jarring moment in the history of jazz fandom. We're talking about a base that loves fundamentals. Jazz fans give standing ovations to players who maximize the use of their pivot foot. The flashiest jazz move of the last 30 years was Carl Malone putting his hand behind his head when he dunked. The mailman looked around the league, saw Jordan and Wilkins flying and destroying like B-52 bombers, and thought, people think that's cool? Wait until they see the hammer dunk. His move was to literally put a hand behind his head as he dunked, which is neither cool nor increases the difficulty of a dunk. But jazz fans were so starved for anything resembling Flash They lapped up hammer dunks like the world was ending and the only sustenance left was Malone cocking his hand behind his head and throwing down. Even I was sucked into this craze. There was a month straight where I refused to perform any task, take a test, ride my bike, hug my mom, without my left hand tucked neatly behind an ear. It was insanity. And everyone who lived in Utah during the 80s, 90s, or 2000s was guilty. I was guilty. We were all guilty. It's time to come clean. The hammer dunk wasn't cool. It was just a dunk from a guy who loves farming with his hand behind his head. All right, where was I? Ah, yes, Donovan Mitchell. Athleticism. Real, honest to God, put back dunkery. I was watching this courtside. The sheer force of his dunk knocked me out of my seat and put me in concussion protocol. Watching a jazz player attack the rim without fear of self or foe was unlike anything a jazz home crowd has ever witnessed. On a scale of 1 to 10, Mitchell's tomahawk resonated somewhere in the space between nuclear and apocalypse. It was destructive beauty. Molecules rearranged a split second before vaporization. A faraway mushroom cloud, we watched bloom in silence, waiting for the sonic boom. 
Thank you for listening to No Baller. This show is produced by Weston Tanner and can be consumed in a variety of ways. You can download it as a podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or the platform of your choice. You can also view it in video form via the Beehive TV app, which can be downloaded on Apple, Google, Roku, and Amazon Fire. For more information, go to noballer.com.